Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight, we will be discussing The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott, and a little bit, Race to Crash Point Tower by Daniel Jose Older. My name is Beth Van Dusen. With me, as always, of course, are Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Shank. Over to you, Chad. This is your bi-weekly reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We're going to spoil these books. In addition, we're probably going to spoil a great many other things Star Wars over the course of our conversation, including comics, video games, things like that. And and specifically, the High Republic comics will come into play. So that has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, what's uh, what's the news? Well... Last week, you know, San Diego Comic-Con at home happened, and it was a bust. (laughs) I don't know why San Diego couldn't get it together, but just overall, it was a letdown. Like, how the other major cons have been able to do virtual stuff and be really successful in San Diego can't, I I just don't know. They're only the biggest con in the world. Yeah. It's going to be interesting when it finally happens again, because they've pushed everybody, all the toy companies and the major publishers and everybody to kind of do their own little virtual cons. And, you know, they seem to be doing better that way. So it'll be interesting when it gets back together. But, you know, some stuff did happen. Some exclusives got released. Black Series had two separate exclusives announced that went online. Um, Target got... Carbonite versions of the Shore Trooper and Paz Vesla, you know, the Heavy Mando. And who was the other one? One more. Um, oh, Death Trooper, I think. Those carbonized ones. I, I like my Vader. I do like my Vader. I like the Vader and the Boba Fett looks pretty good. But these just kind of look like, you know, they're fine. Uh, the Walmart ones were a little more interesting. Nobody's actually seen them. They didn't show pictures of them when they went to pre-order but they are figures from the Clone Wars. And we got a Mace Windu, an Arc Trooper, and a General Greek. So it'll be interesting when they finally show those, how they're going to kind of translate that animation style to a Black series. Oh, the Jendi Tartakovsky yeah. Clone Wars? Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and so they didn't show any pictures of them. Like, when you buy it, it's just a picture of the cartoon. <laughs> that's, that's a leap of faith. Yeah, so <laughs> you just got to hope for the best on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll save the good book news for the end. On the Disney Plus side, and again, like Chad said, we always talk spoilers. So if you don't want to know anything about possible things on the Disney Plus shows, watch out. Just skip ahead. Sim Kang, who we know has been casted on Obi-Wan. So he's talking to Rotten Tomatoes. And he, in his quote, one of the things he talked about was one that he filmed with Darth Vader. Um, Two, that he puts on a costume every day, which we'll get to what people think he meant by some additional comments, but he also made reference to multiple Jedi being on set. That, along with some other things he said, has led people to believe that he is actually playing an Inquisitor, and more specifically, that he's playing Fifth Brother. So Mm. that could be interesting. And, you know, it would make sense if he's talking about having, you know, all these Jedi around that we may see some of like 
the Vader hunting people down, which would make sense for the show. Yeah, is it possible that Vader's in the show because he's going to put the brother on Obi-Wan's trail or something or ask him to find him or something? Yeah, so something like that might be happening. I'll admit, I always, as a kid, this is kind of grim, but I always thought the Jedi Purge would like be a a longer event than we saw in the movies. Yeah. I always wanted to see this time period of Vader hunting down the Jedi. We're getting that in, in the comics and stuff. And we, and we got it on Rebels too, obviously, with the Inquisitoris. But uh, I've always, this is an era I've always wanted to see, which is Vader, the Vader, Vader's uh, Purge. Mm-hmm. Even more interesting on Disney Plus News, uh, yesterday actually, Rosario Dawson shared a tweet from somebody else. And it was a tweet about... Lars um, Miggle, how do you say it? Miggleson and Matt, Mads Miggleson. Lars, not Mads, Lars. Oh. And Mina Massad being cast as Ezra and Thrawn. It <laughs> okay. has been rumored that those two, that's who they were playing. And someone like did like, it's kind of like a little meme kind of thing or whatever that showed them next to the characters and she retweeted. I love that that's news. I love that it's news that someone retweeted something. Yeah. I mean, now he, Mina, he has, he has teased that he's going to be Ezra and people didn't know if it was like just early, like campaigning for a role or whatever. Yeah. But the fact that she retweeted it, if that is how the official casting gets out, you know, Disney, Cannot be too happy about that. It could have been one of those things that where she knows and then she saw something. She's like, oh, everybody must know now. And so she retweets it to celebrate, <laughs> you know, maybe she's pulling for them. Is the other. Maybe. But if they are the ones, they will look great. They will both be wonderful. Like it'll be really good casting. It's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so exciting. And then before we get to book news, just a funny story that happened that I like. If you haven't seen this, there is a popular deepfake artist who does a lot of YouTube stuff. His name is Shamu. And so he made this video. Now he's done a lot of videos, but one that was really popular was that he did a deepfake for Luke at the end of The Mandalorian. And it looks wonderful. I highly recommend going watching it. It looks better than the finale did. And so Disney, rather than give him a cease and desist like they often do, hired him. Yep. And so now he is, his official job is working at Lucasfilm to supervise the de-aging process of certain characters. Nice. Yeah. This reminds me, this happened in the 90s, right? With a couple of fan films. I remember there being stories about fan films where the effects were, were pretty good and they ended up getting jobs at Lucasfilm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think the guys too that did that uh, Batman, what was it, Batman Alien video? They yeah. got hired somewhere. But yeah, so that's a cool one. And then obviously the thing that has the most to do with us and is probably the most interesting, they have announced the titles and the writers for what is now clarified as phase one, wave three of the High Republic will come out in January of next year. They kind of had tagged it as the light of the Jedi go dark. So we've got the adult book will be The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. Which, you know, that's kind of goes along with what we talked about, what, last episode? That they do seem to be taking turns on the adult book. Mission to Disaster will be by Justina Ireland. And that's the middle grade novel. Eye of the Storm will be Sewell. That'll be a Marvel 
miniseries. It's two issues of 30 pages each, and that'll be the background on Roe and kind of, I'm guessing, dealing with his daddy issues. (laughs) (laughs) And then the final one will be Midnight Horizon by Alder, and that will be our YA book. Alder is kind of the only one that's made a quote about it, and all he'll say is, it's a chaotic mess. So I guess things are about to go poorly. I am assuming from all of these titles and things that old Starlight Beacon's in trouble. Well, it ain't around 200 years later, so yep. Yep. that's a good end of Act 1. Mm-hmm. If, if, it, if it turns out to be like, you know, three waves of three, like, yeah, that's how you end Act 1. Yeah, and I feel like three waves of three, you know, having... Well, what will be, what, nine adult books and nine YA? Like, that's a good number. Get out yeah. before it's too long. It's just- what I find fascinating, though, is originally when they announced this, I was like, oh, cool, a new era. This isn't a new era. This is a story. Mm-hmm. You know, like, maybe they'll open it up to other people eventually and you can write. You know, I mean, I know that show, if that show ever happens, is supposed to, the what, the Acolyte mm-hmm. is supposed to tie into it. In general, like, no, th- this the High Republic is a story, not an era. Maybe after the High Republic is over, we'll get, like... The Middle Republic, <laughs> or just right. the okay Republic. Like, the it's okay. not great, <laughs> but it's okay. Like, things are still somewhat fine. That's our news for the week. Well, speaking of High Republic, I was going to go back and just give a brief overview of the last two weeks of comics. No spoilers, just a little bit of what I've been reading. Um, I'm reading all the Star Wars books in real time every Wednesday. High Republic. Adventures number six, written by Daniel Jose Older, deals with the uh, it's it's still dealing with Avar Chris and the Drengir and also her alliance with the Huts, which is part of the storyline there. That one was notable because it featured an appearance by the crew of the vessel, uh, Leox, Affy, and Geode, the navigator, who is we finally get to see. And yeah, he's pretty much just a squared pillar of rock. And his race is listed as Venitian, whatever that means, but he's got a race listed in this. And then going along with that, High Republic number seven, written by Kevin Scott. It's about Keeve dealing with the traumatic after effects of her first story arc. Um, she's got, she's all kind of messed up in the head. Features an appearance by Wayseeker Orla Jirani, who was, I think, in, she was in the, wasn't she in the Claudia Gray book? Yes. And uh, according to the comic book, she looks like Moon Knight. So that's pretty cool. Not like Oscar Isaac, but like comic book. <laughs> and it ends with a shocking image that I hope isn't what I think it is. Also, War of the Bounty Hunters is still going. Justina Ireland actually wrote War of the Bounty Hunters Jabba the Hut, which is a one shot, which kind of follows Jabba. You know, everything's kind of centering around this auction for Han Solo and Carbonite. And this is following Jabba before the auction. And it introduces a new character named Diva, who is an on again, off again, kind of bounty hunter assassin who works for Jabba, who is always in Jabba's debt and can never get out of his debt. Um, it was pretty cool. Darth Vader 14 by Greg Pak follows. It's actually a story about Sly Moore. Uh, the, you know, uh, Force-sensitive Umbaran woman who's one of uh, Palpatine's advisors mm-hmm. who really doesn't like Vader and she tries to get a group together to take him out. It's spoilers, it doesn't go well. Uh, and then Star Wars number 15, written by Charles Sewell, features the members of Wedge's Starlight Squadron with Luke tagging along to help because currently, anyway, it totally made me wish for a Starlight Squadron comic or book series, paging Michael Stackpole. And um, if they want to, they can just cut the Valance book out to make room for it. That's a problem because that book is useless. So uh, yeah, that's kind of our comic roundup. Elzar's shoulders heaved, seawater splattering from his lungs. 
he was back on Ashla's shore. Salt drying on his skin, baked by the burning sun. He looked around, eyes still blurry, trying to focus on the golden sands that stretched out to either side of him. Wing moths circling in the sky above, ready to pick the flesh from his bones. But he wasn't dead yet. None of them were. He pushed himself up and stumbled back toward his vector, gathering his robes as he went. He needed to get off Ashla. Needed to leave the core. The Force had spoken. It had already answered his question. If only he had listened. One name. A planet where he would finally be able to put things right. Valo. All right. Well, I hope you have a pad and paper ready to write down the eight bazillion characters that are in this book, because it can be a little much to keep up with. But they're all great. They are. I am very curious to talk to you, especially Beth, who listened to this as an audio book, because I definitely had to keep like flipping back and being like, who is this again? But by the end, it was really easy to keep up with. All right, on with our book. <clears throat> so fairs always seem like such a fun idea. Exotic animals, rides, and crazy food. But of course, then a bunch of rednecks show up in their junker cars, blowing smoke everywhere, playing loud noises, starting fights, and wrecking the place. In The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott, the Republic has a fair, and shockingly, it goes poorly. Our prologue starts on Ashla. Yep, you heard that right. As Aslar struggles with visions of the dark and getting friendzoned by Avrakris, who is off somewhere else now. However, the Force does show him where he can make things right. Valo. Meanwhile, Martran Roe, our pirate captain, and his new Force-sensitive friend Udi, Talatari, who is able to use Force Vision and uh, Pathfind, lands on Roe's ice planet uh, looking for a mysterious object. After meeting up with some people from his clan, they fight through the dark caves and battle giant ice monsters with the help of Loden's stolen lightsaber. They find the mysterious object in the ice that they will quote-unquote bring the balance called the Leveler. Rose signals to the Nile to come get it, and then he kills everyone with it. Next, we catch up with Padawan Zell, now studying under Indira after losing uh, Loden Greatstorm in the last book, who is stationed on Cyclor, overseeing the construction of the Innovator, a big science ship that is yet again one of Chancellor Rowe's great works. Of course, Payne and his storm attack the ship, with Bell getting stabbed as he's cut himself off of the Force since the supposed death of Loden, but they fight them off with minimal damage to the Innovator. Stellan Gaios having been appointed as Rose Security, travels with the Chancellor to Valos, along with Rahil, a Holonet reporter who has been given full access, well, full access in the fact that they get to watch everything she does and edit as they want. In the movie, she'll be played by Courtney Cox. <laughs> uh, let's see, they meet with a group of sinners, including Solicin Tia Toon, who rightfully thinks that maybe having an affair isn't the best time right now. What with the Nile... <laughs> <laughs> and the Jedi all fighting the Dringir with the help of the Huts. It's good to see that the Jedi, even in the High Republic, continue to make the worst decisions. 
Have you seen those huts? Those huts ride rancors, man. Those huts are badass. Oh, and of course, Tihoon is this book's The Republic Should Have an Army character, because we always need that guy. Roe pushes on, and they head to Vallis to start the party. Next, we meet Ty, a mercenary who proves that you can take the Padawan out of the Jedi, but not the Jedi out of the Padawan. She meets with an Venera Matissa and her daughter, Chiron, when they ask her help with security, taking a mysterious invention to the fair. So off they go. On Valos, Elzar's been getting rid of the fair by getting romantic with the security admin, Samara, <laughs> which I don't think is really going to help with security when they make the sexy time. Pan returns to the Nile base on Grizzle, where they have... Which, uh, is it called Grizzle? I don't know, but that's what I like to call it. <laughs> on Grizzle, where he falls with the old boot, falls for the old booby-trapped helmet trick from Roe, who's really mad that he didn't follow orders to lay low. Him and Lorna, D and New Tempest runner Zila are starting to think they don't need Roe anymore and begin to challenge him. But they put that on hold as Roe still has loyalty of the rest of the Nile. All our hero characters arrive on Valis for the fair and get time to meet and greet with Radisa Elarak of the Togura, who are trying to convince, they're trying to convince to join the Republic. Since the disturbance in the force, Bell and Elzar find it, but too so a tie, trying to sell a device to Senator Toon. Because this is a new canon book, of course, the device is something that turns off lightsabers and blasters. Tia Toon surprisingly turns her down. The Jedi burst in, arrest her, and take her to the cell. The next morning, the fair is set to begin. The innovator arrives and all the exhibits are ready to go with floating islands and beasts and all the most important people in the Republic in one area. Surely nothing will go wrong. Are we sure nothing's going to go wrong, Ryan? We will find out. Okay. (laughs) The exhibits also include a Jedi artifact that's overseen by uh, a master who is just basically slime in a spacesuit. As the opening festivities begin, the Jedi notice that the Mayor Vallis and Roe, Chancellor Roe's sons are both missing, and Bell goes off to find him. Then, of course, the Nile attack, sending smoke screens all over the ground and displaying speakers to confuse the people with a mix of white noise and, good God, it's canon now, wreck punk. <laughs> Pan leads in the air assault, while Lorna D leads the ground. The book then follows our heroes as they fight against the Nile, but to make it easier, we're going to go character by character. Belle and Amber rescue the boys aboard the Innovator, which is sinking down into the lake. Belle reconnects with the Force, which he has cut off from since he lost Loden. Ryle and Obelon, our slime Jedi, battle the Nile in the Jedi exhibit, with Ryle finally using an artifact to call out for help since the Nile cut the comms over in Crash Point Tower. Tile escapes her cell with the help of Padawan Jong, who then goes back to the middle school book. She then thinks about leaving, but can't do it because she just can't cut those ties. She meets out with Elzar, who is tapped into the dark side to take down some Nile and save some people up on one of the floating platforms. They did decide to save some of the animals that have escaped before going full Avatar and enchanting some dragon creatures to ride on the back to help with the aerial battle, which is being led by Indira, with poor Ingle surfing out on her wing, <laughs> using force <laughs> battle powers that Avarice can do. Stellangos leads Roe and the Regency towards the Jedi Temple for safety, saving people along the way and fighting off the Nile. The Jedi are starting to turn the tide, meeting up and then force pushing the smoke away as they begin to win in the air battle. 
There's so many pages to that. <laughs> At that point, Pan starts to see that the tide of the battle is turning, and even though his people are down there, he starts the bombardment from the air. Lorna D catches up with Stella and Roe, fighting him off, and then going after the Chancellor when a missile hits the walker, seemingly killing Roe. Then the Tarkuta fleet arrives just in time, fights off the Nile, and Pan escapes out the back. The galaxy watches as Stellan holds off holds Roe, unable to contain his emotions, crying for all the hollow net to see. But good news, she's not dead. In the hospital, she admits that maybe the fair wasn't the best idea in the world. <laughs> but good news, Elorux <laughs> sends a message that while their governments no. may not be ready, she likes her style and is ready to start working with the Republic. The end. Oh, wait. That's not the end? Oh, God. This isn't going to be good. No. So it keeps going. The Targuta also tell Ro that it turns out the Nile have been listening in on the Republic's transmissions for at least a year. And also, they figured out how to weaponize the gear. This will not come back up again. So the Republic decides to set a trap with the help of Senator Toon to fake a massive Republic presence back on Siloth. Toon basically says, look, I love the Jedi. I just don't think Space Wizards is a solid defense platform. Meanwhile, on Gritzel, Pan is, is talking all high and mighty about his victory and reveals that he knows all about Santeca and where the past come from. He tells all the Nile and Ro does some quick talking to remain in control, but once inside, hits Pan with the old needle up the sleeve trick. Lorna revives him after some conflict and gets all hot and heavy with him, telling him that she'll go attack with him, uh, choosing the shipyards after listening to the Republic uh, fake broadcast. On Valos, Elzar tricks the Nile captive from the Archive by acting like he's going all dark, allowing him the Nile to escape on a ship that Indira and Bell are hiding on. Unfortunately, he also takes young Clarion hostage with him. They arrive on Gretzel and turn on the tracker to call all the other Jedi. Upon arriving, Bell senses that Loden is alive. And he's escaped his cell after a year of torture in which both his Leku have been cut off. Menteca helps him to awake and connects with him and gave him the strength. And he finds her and thanks her and she tells him that he saved her too. Bell goes looking for Loden and Dira, trying to find Clarion, who sells them out to the Nile. Pan shows up on Cyclops, only to find out that Tortuga and the Republic waiting for him. Lorna lied and kept her Tempest home. Payne also realizes that she didn't actually give him an, an antidote, and then he's blown out of the sky. Yippee! The Jedi arrive on Gretzel and make pretty easy work of the Nile. Roe fights Loden, but gets away when he has to save Bell. They then both go after Lorna D, trying to pull her ship out of the sky. Roe has finally had enough and pulls out his magic stick, the leveler, and twists it. And then something happens. What it is, it's not super clear. But what it does is knock out all the Jedi, allowing Ro and Lorna to escape. The Jedi then find Loden, who has been turned to ash. In the end, everyone learns the lessons that fairs suck. The end. <laughs> so that's like a good 80% of what happens in this book. There's so much more. <laughs> It's dense. It's, it's a lot of book. It's so good. I, you know, I like this High Republic thing of where they seem to have one big incident that's the central focus of the book and you just see it from all these different characters. 
yeah. points of view and kind of what they're doing. And you and you get to learn and understand the characters and the context of that event mm-hmm. and, and, and follow them and tell complete stories. Uh, the Obviously, the, the was it Hestal, right? Mm-hmm. The disaster in Hestal in the first book is, what, the first third of the book, maybe the first half almost? Yeah. Uh, and so this kind of puts that in the middle. But yeah, uh, you're, you're right, though, when they like, everybody come to the fair. And you're like, oh, that's... <laughs> Don't go to the fair. <laughs> Let's address the elephant in the room real fast. There's no Kevin in this book. There's a mention of Kevin. That is not right. It is not enough. Mentioning Kevin. I almost gave up. Star does Wars. not count as Kevin. <laughs> but I do love that they're like trying to figure out what they're going to do. You know, with the I forgot they mentioned him. Uh, what about, is it the communications where they mention him? It's at the very end. We could yeah. call Kevin. And I'm like, yes, call Kevin. He'll help you. <laughs> call Kevin right now. What I particularly like is how well the story group is working together. Because from one book to the next, yes, the characters evolve, they change. But it's the same characters written by different people. And it's really good how i mean it's really nice how well they've managed to you know maintain characters from one book to the next even though you know we're not dealing with avar chris who was in the last or the first big high public high republic book it's still the same characters it's still a lot of the same people it's just delving into them in a different way i like all of the characters i don't know why they've done such an amazing job of differentiating them giving them each something that's special about them something that's interesting about them they're all still good people and heroes that i enjoy watching i love all of these people it's insane to me how good the characters are how they've sometimes art by committee can be a bad thing but when you put five writers in a room, you know, when you get their their minds moving, they can come up with some pretty great stuff together, mm-hmm. you know, that one person couldn't come up with. And these characters are just so fully fleshed out. Yeah, they're new and there's a lot of them, but I always knew who I was with. I, I know Belle and I know Elzar, right? And I know, um, of course, I stall on it. I know Stellan, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I, I know these people as soon as I'm with them <laughs> and the characters are just so, they're so vivid. I think what they've done a great job with too is... You know, I kind of think of like when you read like Marvel comics or any of the comics, you know, you always have like a big event and then you have eight gazillion tie-in issues. And a lot of times in those comics, the tie-in issues sometimes don't feel as important. They don't contribute to the story as much. Like the High Republic has done an excellent job of, yes, you could just read The Rising Storm and you would be fine. But if you read new adventures if you read the main comic if you read the ya book you read the middle school book it's so much better and the story it's flawless in between them like i was upset at first that avra chris wasn't in it but she's in the comic yeah she's the kind of the not the lead in the comics but yeah she's featured in the comics heavily yeah well because in this book they say oh she can't come she's off fighting the dengir right Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's what she's doing in the comics. She's fighting the Dengir. Uh, I, I assumed she was doing something in something I hadn't read yet or wasn't out yet. Because I I trust this story group enough to know that she's doing something. It's not just a she's busy. 
and we're never going to know what that is. Every time they're like, oh, no, there's this character's not here. They're off doing something else. There, There's a book for that. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's they're referring to another another medium. Avar's story, the story of them fighting the Dengir have become the that's become the main arc of the comic book. Yeah. While the books tend to focus more on the Nile. Mm-hmm. And I will say the Nihil were becoming a little boring to me until this book because it's just space pirate infighting. I mean a lot a lot of what they do is space pirate infighting. But this this new aspect of them is just well, we'll we'll talk about it more at the end. It's it's pretty damn devastating. And I'm very worried for all these characters. I like the I like Lorna in this. <laughs> Oh, I did too. I'm really looking forward to her audiobook. Oh, really? What's that? Uh, that's the what's it called? The Tempest. I think it's called. It's called the Tempest, Tempest Runner. Tempest Runner. Yeah. Oh, it's about Lorna D. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's all, all Lorna right. D. Oh, that's cool. So I don't know if it'll take place like after this, after she escapes in her ship. She's mean. Gosh, she's so good. Like, yeah, I really like her throughout this thing, and she's a badass. I mean, she. Yeah, Stellan was injured when he fought her but she fights him off yeah yeah but i loved all her stuff with pan and you could see it coming like especially after he gets injected by roe and she's kind of like watching him rise on the ground dying and she's like well what are we gonna do here she doesn't go to him right away yeah and then solves him and then makes out with him and it's like yeah you're awesome <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah that's not gonna go well for you yeah. <laughs> you're gonna die stupid yeah, and they do a good job with Pan, like he, because he's kind of right. I mean, he's not as stupid as the last guy. Yes. The, the what, I said so I, I I always remember him as uh, Taserface from the last book. <laughs> yes. Um, but I forget his name. But he was a little dumber. And you're right, Pan's not wrong, mm-hmm. and Roe knows he's not wrong, so that's why he's got to stop him eventually, end him. The only other thing that really bugs me about the Night Hill is stuff like your ship is called the Gaze Electric, <laughs> and, and the guy that Pan, who is it, Panada or somebody, somebody took out a guy named Scar Spike, which is as bad as Taserface, like, and the Wreck Punk. I've heard it again. You probably give yourself the name spike right or whatever it was scar spike scar spike yeah you're not born with that no but uh (laughs) it sounds like a stupid pirate name to me i i love this book felt it's kind of weird this book felt a little victorian the kind of the turn of the century world's fair type of thing if you've ever read like devil in the white city Mm -hmm. yeah the idea of the of a of an expo Right. The World Expo that's going to show off things from throughout the galaxy. It's not something we really care about anymore, which is interesting. Like this is in the past of Star Wars, uh, from what we know, Star Wars. And there's things in it that are old fashioned for us now, like something like this, like a World Expo is very old fashioned idea. Well, this is in the past, just Mm -hmm. like it would be for us. I thought that was kind of cool. It helps evoke a sense of it being another time without it being medieval, without it being Game of Thrones, without it being uh, the Dark Ages. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. It still it still felt like it different time period to me, which I thought was cool. Yeah, he did a really good job of laying out the fair, too. Like, I had a very clear understanding of what the fair was with the floating islands for each world. Yeah. I thought the having the It's a Small World type song was really <laughs> funny. Yeah, and you do not introduce a rag scythe in the first act and not have it destroy people in the, second, in the last act. <laughs> because having giant predators is something in a, in a park that they haven't learned about yet because it's it's a long time ago and they haven't seen Jurassic Park. God creates dinosaurs. God destroys dinosaurs. God creates man. Man destroys God. 
Man creates dinosaurs. Dinosaurs eat man. Woman inherits the earth. Yeah, I love that moment where where he goes into the zoo and it's like this thing is a devastating predator, the most dangerous in the galaxy. And you're like, well, that's getting out. <laughs> yep, that's going to kill a whole bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, that's that's getting out. And a Jedi's uh, going to have to kill it and then be sad about it. Bell was great. Yeah, I liked Bell's you know stuff with Ember and kind of the arc of his over the book that he's kind of cut himself out of the force a little bit. But he's pretty badass in this though. Yeah. Yeah, once he turns it back on. really powerful. Yeah, where he gets, you know, I liked the, uh, in the beginning in that first battle over Cyclops when he sees Indira, she does the, she patches the hole with all the metal. And he sees it and then he uses it later when he reconnects. Yeah, he gets messed up. Like, I thought they were killing him. Yeah, I thought so too. I want to play the game where you're Belle and you have, where you're Belle and you have Ember and it's like a, it's like an uncharted game, but you're going through that sinking ship. Like it felt like an uncharted level to me. Yeah. When, when, when they're working their way through this sinking ship, it was really cool. So for a while I couldn't figure out like, why are we having this chapter go on so long with the chancellor so's son and his new yeah. boyfriend like why why are we focusing on them so much they're not doing anything interesting except hanging out with a guy named dennis and an <laughs> alien named lisa and then of course bell shows up and changes that whole chapter and made it I, so I will admit, much better you, you do get to that point with them where you're like please we don't need more characters <laughs> we really we really don't need yeah. uh, christopher walken's son from batman returns i don't care <laughs> about I the mayor's son like I, I grew to by the end of it if you hear the audiobook, you won't. He's Mark Thompson does him with this terrible Irish accent, and it's thick and it's broad You're and not bad. Selling me on the audiobooks oh. all the time when you say this. I never wanted to hear the mayor's son speak again. I was just like, "Could you guys kiss or something so that you'll shut up?" Um, what do we think about Ty? <sighs> Ty's a Ty's a mystery. I like Ty. Yeah. I do think it's interesting that you know they talked about you know eventually that yeah she was a Padawan and she left, but kind of the way they talk about it was like. It's not a big deal, and this happens a lot. And, you know, they make such a big deal out of the 20 lost Jedi, but apparently Padawans are just leaving left and right, and they're just like... Well, those are Padawans, yeah, I mean... And they can keep their lightsabers, because, you know, the Republic just giving stuff away, even back then. You gotta imagine that Padawans scrub out. Yeah. But would you let a Force user loosen the galaxy with their lightsaber and just be like, you know what? It's fine. It didn't work out. Take this as our parting gift. I don't know, but I know that I'm letting someone to do the world that knows how to make a lightsaber. So, yeah, eh, you know, fair enough. it's like, it's the same thing. That's fair. I do like her thing that like, they have to say, I need your help before she'll do it. And she's like, dreads it. And is like, don't say it. Don't say it. And they're like, I need you to help me. And she's like, hey. she's like Marty McFly and chicken. <laughs> yeah. She was interesting. I kept it in my head. I, I don't remember what she looked like, but she was Brienne of Tarth in my head. And um, just because she was a, a bodyguard. She was some sort of alien, because I think they yeah. talked about her having head tendrils instead of hair. That's her on the cover, right? Yeah. Editor's note. Ty is a Tholothian from the planet Tholoth, which is in the uh, the colony regions. They're near humans with the, like Beth said, the little tendrils in their hair. The two other prominent Thalothians, like from the movies, are the Jedi Stas Ali and Adi Galia. So, didn't want to let that go. Yeah, she does have a purple lightsaber, so that's got to be her. Yeah, that's her. 
So Stellan got his groove on. Uh, no, Elzar. Oh, sorry, Elzar. So Elzar got his. Uh, Elzar, yeah. who I was worried about at the end of the last book, gives me even more reason to worry this book. Yeah, let's talk about Elzar's whole yeah. past throughout this book. Yeah. First of all, Ashla's back. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was great, opening on Ashla. It's awesome. The only thing with him, though, I felt like the last book, you know, we they talked about how he was it does like basically experimental force powers or he like pushes the limit of it or whatever. And I don't think they've really done that yet, which I wish they kind of would like we would see him do something. Yeah. This book didn't really get into that. That is true. No. What he does do is go to the dark side there for a second and everybody's like, yeah, it's cool. Everybody. I was like, whoa, is it? (laughs) And they all, Absolutely confirmed that he and Avar used to get it on because she she pushed him away when when she was like, hey, no, we're not Padawans anymore. I have a feeling it's kind of like, forgive me. I have a feeling it's kind of like convents and like stuff like there's there's stuff going on. You know, (laughs) it may be against the rules for the Padawans, but come on, they're they're sipping. They're they're sneaking in booze and they're they're getting it on like they're they're a bunch of kids, you know. And and so he he getting it on again with somebody else wasn't super shocking, but oh. his his dipping his toes into the dark side. And yes, I agree with him when he said, "Why are they giving me a posting to be a, a marshal of a station? Can't they see that I'm struggling? Can't can't they see that I'm I'm having a tough time here?" But he also doesn't talk to his friends about it. I'm saying, yeah, he doesn't tell them that. <laughs> He doesn't, you know, they, they can't, they don't, they won't know unless he tells them. In fairness to him, they should be able to sense it. Yeah, but he's, he hasn't told them about his vision at all, right? Yeah. He hasn't told yeah. them about this vision. The reason he's bummed out, the reason he's changed is because of this vision that he's had and he hasn't told anyone about it. So, but Yoda can sense fear and, and stuff in Anakin. Sure. He, but nobody senses that there's deep turmoil in Elzar. Well, Stellan kind of does. Like, Stellan knows something's wrong. Elzar seems to think that if he can just be with Stellan and Chris again and get them together, it'll yeah. fix it. And it just keeps not happening. That's his, they're college friends, right? Like, that's his, his two best friends. And so, yeah, he thinks if he can kind of be with them. His reaction when Avar doesn't show up to the fair, mm-hmm. you know, he's very, it's like, it's, it's like a, it's almost like a teenager's response to it. He's he's self-aware in that he knows he's struggling, but he's not self-aware yeah. enough to know, you know, that probably isn't the right reaction. That's not the reaction I should be having to this. Well, he also isn't aware enough to know that he has to ask other people for help. Mm-hmm. I think he is, though, because I think he 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 says at one point that, you know, I, I should go to them and ask them for help. But that's not my style. I loved I loved when he snapped. Oh, yeah. The island that was missing wasn't just missing mm-hmm. he tore it up yeah he was he used some you know it reminded me a little bit of the moment where ray she's the force lightning mm-hmm. yeah and rise of skywalker you know when she realizes oh i got a little dark side in me i really did like when they used it later though when he fake went back to the dark side yeah <laughs> like yes. that was played really well well yeah i mean like i said this is a whole d- generation of quinlan bosses yeah <laughs> Right, it's a whole bunch <laughs> yeah. of Jedi where they dip into the dark side and they come back, you know. Okay, them riding around where they tame the dragon guys. Yeah, that was a little much. I was here for it. <laughs> I yeah, just, I really did. I was like, oh, it's Avatar. I, I <laughs> like, knew it was them happening. flying around on the dragons. It's with not Avatar. It's the Star Wars. 
<laughs> with the vectors next to him. I was like, this is very. It's Star Wars. Ass. They've always said there's always been beast riding and stuff. I was on board for it because there's a line. You guys talk. There's a line. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, they're using it again in Crash Point. It. It comes up. It's not beast control. It's, it's you know, joining of minds. And you knew the minute you saw them, you're like, oh, somebody's going to tame them. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indira swiveled in her seat, looking back to see a gigantic winged creature soar behind her, the mangled remains of the Nile's cockpit in its jaws. She laughed out loud as she saw who was hunched on the, ba- on the sandville's back, robes blowing in the wind. Elzar Man was riding a dragon into the middle of a dogfight, because who else would it be? <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> Nope. I just love it. I love the fact that you can top in on a character and be like, fucking Elzar. It did anything like in a movie or in a show. It would look so good with like, you've got Jedi riding around with dragons. You've got the vectors with like poor Eagle, like clutched on one of the wings. That was like, so awesome. Flying around. <laughs> and and like, all the vectors are carrying people on the cockpits, just like clutching on the front. <laughs> At no moment was Engel like, put me down. He's like, I'm cool. He's like Team Wolf. He's like Team Wolf up there. When he does, like you know, he joins other minds or whatever. And the first thing, one of them's like, "And I saw the nine egg soup." And I was like, "Yes, delicious nine egg soup." Yeah, it was. Um, that's I, I found that stuff to just be a lot of fun. I I'm, I'm glad that they, despite the fact that they're telling this big epic kind of serious story, that uh, that they're still having fun with the adventure sci-fi fantasy element. I mean, this was the fantasy element of Star Wars, right? With the dragons and everything. So I thought that was really cool. I think one of the reasons they don't necessarily notice that Elzar's in a funk is because everything is off. They're in this period of time where they say multiple times, where it's like everything just feels, it's, it's kind of like 2020 was, you know, where everybody's just like, oh, just everything is wrong right now. And it was okay, like two years ago, and now everything's wrong. And I think Elzar is just part of that. Like, they should be worried about Skier. I was worried about Skier because he doesn't show up in this book or in Crash Point. I'm like, oh, where? he's in the comics. You should be real worried about Skier. Yeah, he's he's in the comics with uh, Avar fighting against the, the Dengar. He has a Dengar arm now. Oh, no. <laughs> it's disturbing. I got a real jolt. I got a real, like... When when they when um, the communications went down, right, or when the communications go back up and the Jedi can start talking to each other again, mm-hmm. I love the fact that we realized there are more of them there than we thought because of course there were. We yeah. just were staying with certain ones, and I got a real euphoric, I got a real rush of like heroism, you know, like oh no, we're all here. I got goose, I got that good old fashioned heroic fiction feeling of like everybody checking in. It's the the on your left moment. Everybody checking and going like, oh, no, we're all here, guys. We're all fighting. And, I, you know, and, and that was awesome. And that's one of the reasons I really ended up like in Tia Toon, the senator. Yeah. At first, he did seem like he was going to be one of those generic senators we've seen in Star Wars politicians that don't like the Jedi and just wants to start a military and all that stuff. But then he really is like, no, y'all guys are great. <laughs> yeah. I'm all for the Jedi. It's just a terrible plan to like only rely on you people. And he's not wrong. No, he's not. He's a very much a politician because he even says to Stellan, he's like, listen, I know I've said some things about you guys, mm-hmm. but uh, appreciate you saving my life. And I got nothing against you. Just just understand that I, I, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I like you guys. You know, it's kind of like just ignore what I say in the Senate, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and even like when he finds, you know, what the weapon is that. 
again, the magic lightsaber turn off machine. He's like, no, this is a terrible idea. Like, or I think in previous books and stuff like that, you know, you would expect him to want the machine or whatever. Now, granted, it's like radioactive. <laughs> we would have found out that, that he was faking it. Yeah. And that later, he really did know, you know. I was expecting him to be like, yeah, this is bad and you're under arrest. Meet me about back later. <laughs> yeah, but no, he ended up being a pretty good guy. <laughs> Like you just who just politically disagrees. Mm-hmm. Wow, that must be nice. <laughs> now, I noticed in this, there were a few more references to different colors of lightsabers. Are we assuming that the kind of the pairing down to two colors is part of the dulling of the Jedi we're going to see? I think so. I think that's yeah. going to be part of that uniform right. where your tears and they, you know, we've talked about that tunic thing a lot or what they wear. Yeah. And there's a lot more comments in this book about it. Like, Especially, I think they talked to Elzar about it. Right. Elzar is constantly talking about how he hates his ceremonial robes and doesn't like dressing up. I felt like there was a lot of talking about outfits in here, and that makes more sense why that would be in there. They're so varied. So much more varied than any Jedi we've ever seen. I know, like, we talked about it when we talked about the book. Compare them to the Jedi in Darth Plagueis. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that are just are completely fine prequel era Jedi, but they're so boring. These are much more individualistic, colorful. And, and I can, you know, and, and, and yeah, they're told these broad strokes, but they're also real rounded characters at the same time. We haven't even talked about the maybe the greatest Jedi, Jedi of all time in um, uh, Vernestra. Vern, that's how I think it <laughs> You know, she's awesome. And I don't know, I, I like is she the greatest Jedi of all time? Because I'm a big fan of Loden Greatstorm. I have some bad news. I, I know. And I'm super upset about it. And that's and that's one of the things that is so great about these books is that I care so quickly. A character you've had very little time with. Very little time with him, but I was devastated. And I I was curled up in a ball next to Belle at the end of this book. I'm still mourning Master Douglas. Damn it, Master Douglas. (laughs) For anything else, just so we we could make fun of his name. (laughs) Another one I changed my mind, I think we had talked about during Light of the Jedi. Like, I didn't trust Chancellor So and thought she was going to do something bad or she was somebody. But this book makes it very clear. Yeah, she's a hero, too. And I like her more and more. I think Star Wars has trained us to distrust the people in power. Mm Mm-hmm. And so for her to genuinely come out looking like a good person out of everything and realize, you know what, I I really messed up and this fair was absolutely not a good idea and I should listen to some people. Well, her her path is paved with good intentions, but we know where that can lead. I don't sense malice, but it is a possibility that her decisions uh, for the better of the galaxy end up going poorly. Yeah. And I like that her her saving people along the way when her and Stellan are running towards the temple or what brings the Torgidas over. It convinces the queen that, yeah, I want to be friends with the Republic. This is. Wasn't friends. I think they basically said we want to join. Yeah. She wants to join. She wants to join. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Cause they have that like conversation of like your Senate sucks. My Senate also sucks, Sucks. Yeah, (laughs) but we'll, we'll be friends and we'll kind of start working on that. Yeah. I, I I really liked. So this time the whole Togruta thing was awesome. Yeah. This mythology they created, like people were so, you know, the the Republic had very little contact with them and people were like gathered around just to get a look at one. 
which is yeah. not something you hear about in Star Wars a lot because everyone's used to every alien being everywhere. The idea that people were like, oh, I'd really like to get a look at a Togruta. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like their loyalty and like how they take care of business. I'm like, well, yeah, that's Ahsoka. It makes sense. Have we seen Togruta culture that close before? Because I don't remember ever seeing it. Not like this. All I really know about him is what I know through Ahsoka. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, this, Same. Sure so a, I was just wondering if it, if you guys had some. She's got her little fangs, so you know they're predators, carnivores, and um and but this made him this made him feel like Vulcans, like or or some race in Star Trek where like they're the benevolent kind of but powerful race that you want to be on your side, you know? Yeah. And so there was just an interesting, they, they were kind of otherworldly, if you will, in, in, in an interesting way. They they felt like aliens to a whole bunch of aliens. Mm. And that was cool. Right, because that's not something we usually get in a galaxy filled with aliens. We don't get a feeling of discovery. Of discovery, of wonder, of curiosity. You know, like, what what do these guys look like? I don't know. The idea of, yeah, someone actually being surprised or, or awestruck by something they see is not something we hear about much because you walk into a bar and there's literally no two aliens that are alike in a bar in Star Wars. Every yeah. single person in the bar is different. Except for the band. Fair enough. <laughs> Maybe we'll get more of it in the next book, but I thought it was a really cool groundwork to lay for that society and that, those peoples. I think we'll definitely see more of them now because now you pissed them off. <laughs> like yeah. yeah when they show up behind like waiting on cyclops for a pan to show up i was like oh yeah they were they were they were ready <laughs> oh i love that double cross so much i love that she's it, just like yeah i'll meet you there i'll meet you there not only that but yeah i'll meet you there oh and i didn't cure you i just gave you yeah. like a steroid for a little while oh and i'm gonna tell everybody else not to go either <laughs> yeah i'm gonna make sure nobody else goes where does he think he's going why he knows that he is not cured. He knows that he's going to die. No, he thinks he's cured. She tells him. When he's taking off in his pod at the very, very end, oh. when he escapes in his pod, he knows he's dying. He's coughing up blood. That's just desperation. Mm -hmm. He thinks he's still going to take them down. Like, what the hell threat are you to anybody now? But that's kind of his character. Like, he thinks he's ahead of Roe, and Roe has got him. Roe was ahead of him, but not always. I also like the... Let's talk about Roe for a second. He does seem fallible, which I like. Mm -hmm. He makes mistakes. He doesn't... All he has is the path. Like, I mean, he, he is vulnerable. I, I like that chapter where we're in his head, and he's like, oh, I got to win everybody back. Yeah. Like, he, he he's calculating this he's not all superior he's he's making it up as he goes along too in a way you know i mean he has yeah. a plan but it's not like the emperor who just cruises through with complete confidence that this this is my plan and this is how it's going to happen mm -hmm. this isn't like that this is he's he's got a still got a scrap for it and he's yeah. not completely sane because his dead father is talking to him in his head well it's star wars if you're not talking to your dead dad at some point. <laughs> i think roe has Turned into a very cool antagonist, a very cool bad guy. Yeah, and I liked it. Like you said, like he knows the paths are almost done. Like Santeca, she's she's going, so yeah. he's got to figure out what to do next. But that's okay. Loden knows about it now, so everything's fine. Mm. Uh. <laughs> it really felt like I got to the part where, like, you know, yay, Chancellor So's fine and everything's good. And then I was like. There appears to be a good, like, almost 100 pages left in this book. For a minute there, it looks like there's going to be another battle. Yeah. L luckily, they, they, they managed to kind of, you know, pull the wool over your eyes there, like, by having it be the setup and there not actually be a, 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 a battle. Because you're like, oh, are we about to go to round two already? Like, 
they're telling a big story. They, but they, you know, and while they, uh, yes, they're concentrating on these big events, I think there still need to be time to sort out the bigger things. I mean, this is a year later mm-hmm. from the first book. Brian Johnson, take note. I like the fact that it was time had passed, things had changed. There's, you know, wars being fought, people had died. Like, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, the way they just brush over, like, oh, the Drengi are out here, you know, consuming planets, but we're not going to worry about that. We're going to have a fair. Jedi got that handled. It's it's under control. They're worrying about that in the comics. Ah. So this planet they're on, what's it called? Valo? Yeah. Yeah, where the fair is. It's mid-rim. It's mid-rim? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not completely... Because, like, if it was a core world, I'd be like, well, it's pretty... It would be pretty reasonable for her to expect them not to attack a core world. Yeah, it's mid-rim because part of their communications are tied to Starlight. Okay, right, 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 right. Yeah, Which so is- they cut them off. Yeah, this is supposed to be like the, hey, come on out to the mid-rim and look around where we're expanding. Not to be confused with the actual expansion region. Well, right. no, at this point, it, I mean, the mid-rim is their frontier because they're still calling it the frontier. The Starlight Beacon, I believe, is technically Outer Rim. Well, that I thought Valo was Outer Rim, but... Is it? See, I thought they're still like kind of mid. They're not very far out. I mean, it's such a big galaxy. I can I can imagine the the you know chancellor just going like, "There's no way it'll be fine." What are the chances? You know, and then I'll have been laying low. Like yeah. besides Pan sneaking off to do the unauthorized attack, and by then you can't cancel. You're gonna have a panic on the Fourth of July. You can't cancel. Well, like you said the other night, what could possibly go wrong? I mean, here's the thing: you can't live in fear. Freedom. <laughs> Freedom rings. Freedom for freedom's sake. It's the Republic way. Mm-hmm. I actually think my favorite character in the book was Bell, only because of his Poseidon adventure. Because he got this amazing, what would have been a whole movie. Mm-hmm. This this uh, underwater. He's a, I, it's something you don't see on Star Wars often, a, sinking, a literal sinking ship. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I've ever seen in a Star Wars, which is a nice setting for a Star Wars uh, action uh, sequence because, you know, we're used to ships being in space. And I thought he had a couple of truly badass moments, especially near the end of it. They're trying to leave and he's like, uh, oh, it's like when it's all crashing down or whatever. He's like, the force will take care of me. And the the two uh, guys run away and they and they look back and they're like, I can't believe we left the Jedi to die. And he just kind of wanders up the beach. You know, I also really liked that he was saved by his dog. That, like, that's the, Absolutely. that's the only thing that kept him alive was Ember barking at him. So he would stay somewhat conscious. That was that was really powerful. I thought I thought that was really effective. Mm-hmm. That one thing to hold on to. And, and he establishes before. Even before he gets hit, he establishes that like he, when he's in his ship, he one of the reasons he takes Ember is there's no way he would ever let anything happen to Ember. So if Ember's in the back seat, he'll never get shot down because he will not allow anything to happen to that dog. And, and so he's fighting for the dog, which I thought was very cool. And then when he gets <laughs> literally a harpoon shoved in his chest, which was so brutal that him latching onto Ember is like, this is the, this is the thing that, yeah, it's, it's just tethered to the real world. I, I feel like Bell and uh, Loden got screwed in this book. I am so upset for both of them. Yeah, I'm worried about Bell. I don't think Bell's coming back from this. I don't think a dog is enough. I have a left faith in Bell. He barely came back from the last book and he just started to come back. And then he was like, <gasps> then he got a harpoon. Master Loden is alive. And, Oh, hell. I feel Master Loden. He's here. And I was like, oh, no. 
see, I was more optimistic. I thought everything was going to be okay. Book two, Beth. Book two. Well, actually, it's not even, is it? It's not a. Tr- it's not a. It's not a trilogy. Yeah, it's like this six might parts, be right? book so. like two of twelve. Who knows? When when Loden fell and and Loden was falling, I was like, oh no, Loden! But then Bell saved him. I was just like, yay, Bell! And and dies so horribly. Oh, no. Just a pile of, and he touches him and he turns to ash. I can't figure out what was Rogue messed up doing to Loden, or well, I guess why? Yeah, I mean he tortures him and you know makes him so he can't sleep and all that kind of stuff. Was he trying to make a new Santeca? Santeca. I don't know. That's what I thought after the last book, but then this one. He just kind of tortures it for a year, apparently. He starves him. And I mean, maybe he was trying to brainwash him or whatever, because he obviously was well, like Udi in the beginning. Like he needed, for whatever reason, a force user to go get the leveler. So maybe he thought he was going to use Loden to get the leveler. I don't know. Isn't this just their version of the Islamari? Mm. Like he was looking for this thing that the Jedi that knocked out a, someone with force powers when they unleashed it, right? As uh, Udi got closer to it, the worse he felt. He, he he got disoriented in the force and all that stuff. It felt like the Yislamari to me. Yeah, it kind of does. But and I couldn't figure out like why does he need Udi with him for that though? Do the Salamiri make people feel bad? Because I don't remember that happening ever. I just remember like that your powers just don't work. I think they. I think you could. The closer you got to one, the more you would feel it. If you're not in close proximity to it, you're going to feel the force. It's not going to make you feel good to be less attached to the force. I don't think it's an on-off switch. Or I guess you're right. Like he wanted to see if it worked because it was kind of like vague. If he really knew. It's in the ice. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted to see if it worked and he needed help, right? He brought people with him. He needed mm-hmm. help. He just didn't want anybody else to know about it. So he made sure they died there. Yeah. Well, I think he genuinely needed his pilot skills too, because they, yeah. they straight up say like he needs him to, to navigate that asteroid field. He was the perfect fall guy for that. Uh, for I that mean, thing. it kind of seemed like he was already dying even before Ro killed him. Well, yeah, because of the... Because of whatever whatever it is the, the leveler. leveler actually could be, besides a stick that turns Loden into rocks. And then Rose stomps his head. <laughs> it's like, whoa, like, that was something. Yeah. I want to know more about Rose people, though. Like, I thought they were really interesting, like, because they kept talking about the one who I guess was the elder, kept talking about the balance, and but they're not evil, because they kept bringing up, like, yeah, is it true you're like a space pirate now? Like, that's not okay. I kept picturing that lady that he was with as the Eskimo woman from the Simpsons movie. <laughs> For no reason in particular, but that's how she appeared to me in my head when I was reading this. I want to talk about the archivist for a second. Orby. The Blobagoo. He was awesome. Yeah. He was great. Mm-hmm. I love it. He's the guy, you know, it's it's that moment, you know, where the, the guy who's always stuck in the museum has to be like, well, I'm still a Jedi. I still got a lightsaber and goes out and does well because he's still a Jedi. <laughs> you know, it's like if uh, what's her name? Jocasta New has to fight. Jocasta New can still fight. Yeah. Jocasta New's a Jedi. And uh, so I thought it was really great. I definitely recommend to. If you don't read the comics, just to go see what he looks like in the comics, because it's kind of funny. He's got a little spacesuit. <laughs> yeah, he's in a spacesuit. And it confused me because I, w- I was rereading them today. And yeah, and it had him in there. And it was like, and I, I didn't put two and two together. And he was like, come on, archivist. I'm like, that's, but no, he's this blob. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a blob inside the spacesuit. That's right. <laughs> 
But I did like he turned into like the T-1000. Yeah. He was like molding in stuff and choking people. And I, it was it was crazy what he could do. I kind of like the hollow net reporter. I did, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's funny that it was like the constant pull between we have full access, but they will totally watch later. And then every once in a while, I mean, they obviously trust her enough because they're like, you just go ahead and turn off your audio on this one. And I kept waiting for them to be like, but she totally didn't. And they never did that. No, she actually had integrity, which is very surprising. Well, yeah. Do you know what's so great is, I don't know how they do it, but like, that's the character you hate in every book. Mm -hmm. Like there's never a book or a movie or anything where you like that character. And for some reason, they're always annoying and they're always, uh, but in this book, she was great. (laughs) She saves the day. She's the one that gets the call out. No, I, I'm replaying Mass Effect right now, and I'm dealing with annoying reporters everywhere. And I'm like, God, why can't they be like this guy or girl or whoever it is? And just leave me alone and just watch and, you know, take notes, damn it. It's, it's a hard feeling to necessarily put into words, but these books exhilarate me. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just, they're fun to read. They once Once I finally got into the book, I read it fast because I wanted to keep going. Sometimes... You know, I like the books we read for this show, but sometimes you're like, oh, okay, I got to finish this one. You know, and even though I'm enjoying it, it's still like a little bit of work to it. Mm-hmm. This wasn't work, man. <laughs> like yeah. this was this was a blast. And I just I just want to hug everyone. I know they're not all going to be OK. That's why I was I thought Bell was actually going to die there for a second. I just love all of them. And I think they've got something real on their hands that I hope can go for a very long time. But there is this ominous thing like like we thought with the first books, this is definitely the Jedi starting to teeter a little bit or, or starting to starting to change. One thing I really appreciate is about this book is there were certain points where it was very clear you were reading something that had something to do with a tie-in. Like whether it yeah. was Ram in the cell when all of a sudden they just randomly run into the Padawans or really like the line when they're like, yeah, so uh, there were some drinker over by the comms tower and then it just moves on. And a lot of times in books when that happens, it's forced and it doesn't feel forced here. It made me want to go read the other stuff and not be annoyed by it. It only felt inorganic because I knew about the other stuff. Mm -hmm. If I didn't know about the other stuff, those things wouldn't even stand out to me. They would just be details of the book, which I thought was really cool. But because I knew, I I didn't technically know, but when it said, yeah, Crash Point Tower, I was like, I believe that's the name of the middle school book. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything I read that I was like, well, that doesn't quite make any sense to me. I'd be like, oh, but that's probably a different book. That's either a book that's coming up or it's a book that's out or it's a comic book or it's something. If I want to know more about it, there is more information out there. So speaking of which, I really liked Race to Crash Point Tower. How about you guys? I did too. (sighs) All right. Here's my deal with Race to Crash Point Tower. (laughs) Because y'all read it, right? Yeah. Yes. So I listened to- This afternoon, actually. (laughs) I listened to the audio book of it. You never do that. I know, but that's what my library had. I didn't want to buy this one, and my library had the audiobook available for whatever reason. The voices were not great, especially the drink gear. Oh, my God. All they say is meat. They do, and they go, meat. And it's like, oh, it's so just 
not probably good. how it would sound in a movie though <laughs> it, oh no this sounds like cartoony it's and the uh what's the droid's name that they keep upgrading throughout the, the book what v18 yeah the voice for v18 is awful audiobooks can be awesome but with the wrong readings yeah i'm i'm assuming it's not mark thompson I have no idea who it was. Honestly. Not for the middle school book, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. He, he usually does pretty good. So this book stars a character that we knew was coming with Ram. We'd seen pictures of him. Ram cracks me up because his name is what? Ram Jambaram? Yes. <laughs> Ram Jambaram. And all I can think of is the, uh, what's the song called? Black Betty. Black Betty. Every time, like, I like seeing my head, I'm like, oh, my baby, Ram John for him. I really liked him. He confused. I, I have a question about him, though. He's from Valo. Yes. Yes. There's a temple on Valo? Yes. That's the one that Elzar is being sent to be the marshal right. of. Mm-hmm. So he grew up on Valo, was discovered as a Jedi where there happened to be a temple and has never left Valo. Well, or he's left, but like he's he's been stationed there. You don't normally get to see a Jedi defending their home planet is all. You know? Yeah. And one thing that he says at one point that threw me off is his master like sends him off alone a lot. And like, yeah, you should totally go look into that. And off he goes. Maybe his master's got a party planner he's got to spend some time with. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I think Race to Crashborn Tower, voices aside, does do a good job filling in some blanks in the book. Like you get to see why the comms are off why some of the Jedi from Starlight show up. You get a new... I was very surprised by the New Adventures, how much it tied in. Well, New Adventures, the last episode of New Adventures ended with them saying, end part one. Okay. And so I think that was the first arc that they're telling. Now we go to here, timed out perfectly. That book came out a week ago or two weeks ago. Because because now, obviously, Ram's going to join them on the uh, Starhopper, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so he's gonna join. He's gonna join Lula and Zine and go back to the comics. Mm-hmm. I really like this because we got Lula, because we got Zine, and because we got, of course, Vernestra. And, and I like Vernestra a lot. She does not like being called Vern, by the way. She does not like being called Vern. I don't care. Um, I'm calling her Vern, and we didn't get enough of her. And my only real problem with the book was not because I listened to the audiobook, but the Drangir just. Oh, that whole part with them just yelling meat over and over again. Meat talk? What meat say? <laughs> it was, it was a little really much. cringy. Yeah, I didn't love they like could make a deal with the drinker. Yeah. They were like, yeah, these people are screwing you over and they're going to destroy all your meat. Well, we'll just like, eat oh, all the no. meat. I mean, I think it's a middle school book. So they want to have some sort of ending where it's not 100% relying on violence. I get it. It just... Oh, it just drug on. I agree. It was a little too much. Challenge you because I, you know, like we talked about, I read the comics on Unlimited, so I'm a few months behind. Yeah, I'm a sucker. I pay every month. And the comics, have they addressed or did we know that the Nile were seeding planets? I mean, the entire main book is about the, oh, no, do we know the Nile are doing it? Did the Nile are right. doing it? I don't think so, no. Because they discover it in the main book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Nile are barely mentioned in the comics. Right. They're not the threat in the comics. Yeah, because that was what I was kind of surprised in Rising Storm when they just mentioned it. And then in this one, 
you know they do it because he sees them at crash point in the beginning. But that's kind of what I want to know more about. And that's why what I thought I was missing by not reading a comic or a different book, like when did the Drengear and the Nihil make deals and, and they started seeding planets? And when did that happen? Ever since they realized they got a common enemy? I don't know. Hopefully we'll find that out. Well, and that may be because Out of the Dark. Yeah, do we know what Out of the Dark is about? We just know that it's Venestra and Wreath. So Wreath, Wreath is back and we're going to give Venestra. Okay. Yes, those are the two main people in Out of the Dark. See, there we go, Beth. Yeah. We've got plenty of Vern coming. I did think it was funny. She just casually pulls out the light whip at one point. <laughs> and I think Zine's like, well, I've never seen that before. And they just keep moving on. I'm well, like, no, she, she says, shh. Yeah, she says shush, and then they dive into a battle like no <laughs> one's going to see it. <laughs> I just, I said, I, I mentioned it earlier. She reminded me of Lannery from Dawn of the Jedi because she's very confident. She's got her little ship that she's kind of all alone in. You know, that's it's not a it's it's a kind of a junk piece of junk that she's flying around in, and she just had this quiet confidence that I really enjoyed. She's just much more likable mm-hmm. than her. But but I also, you know, what I thought was most effective in this book, other than, you know, I, I thought the just the, this literally a race to get to the tower and the idea that these are still these are also our heroes and they're off doing their little part. They're part of this giant story that we just read. Definitely read this after the main book. Yes, for, sh- for sure. Yeah, because it ties into the dragons and all of it. it. It's very satisfying if you read it after the main book. Mm-hmm. It's only been since 2002 that the Jedi couldn't have attachments. Mm-hmm. I like that they're kind of really working through the idea of what does it mean to have attachments? Does that mean Jedi have to be like we see them later, maybe uncaring monks that live apart from everybody else? Or can they have friends and loved ones and all these things, but understand that those things can't stray them from the from what the, the Force wants? I, I can't remember if we talked about this when we talked about Light of the Jedi, but I think even more than, you know, the clothes like we've talked about, like we're in the tunics more, like is the end of this, this is where the balance gets tipped. That the Jedi, who at this point, you know, every once in a while, dip into the dark side a little bit and have attachments and all that. And in the end, they close off that side and go too far to the light or close themselves off too much from the balance. We're going to lose one of these characters to the dark side, right? For good. I don't know. Well, I mean... Maybe. Maybe not. Well, I mean, that's why I'm so worried about Bell. Yeah. I mean, we have a long way to go, but yeah, they, we, we, I feel like that's, but maybe they don't just because that's a Star Wars story we've seen many times. So yeah. maybe they don't do that. I just got to think the Sith are going to show up at some point, whether it's like the very end and all of a sudden we find that someone changes sides or. They may be mentioned, but I don't think there will be any Sith because I really do believe the Jedi think the Sith are gone. Yeah, like I don't think it'll be a big plot point, but I think at some point, whether it's Marcherian Rowe, well, he's not serving four powers, or Bell or somebody right. is going to become a Sith and nobody's going to know it. Well, do we know in this timeline when Darth Bane is? We know Darth Bane still exists, but we don't know anything about him now, right? I mean, Bane, Bane's way before this. Yeah. Well, he was. Well, that's true, but... I don't think they'll move Bane. I can't imagine. Depending on what they're going to do, I don't think you move Bane that far up. Especially if they're going to go back to Old Republic at some point, which supposedly they are. Yeah, surely they'd want to save him. There's no way they don't tap into the Old Republic stuff at some point. I I think there's more likely to be a show about Revan than there is a show about Bane. They're bringing Revan. 
Like, yeah. at some point, Revan is coming in. Well, he Revan's kind of the poster child of the video game characters, mm. right? He's kind of the big video game character. How awesome would it be at the end, though? Like, nine books from now, whatever. We get Sith Bell and his apprentice, Darth Plagueis. <laughs> <laughs> and his apprentice, this little mun named Hugo Damask. <laughs> and then James Lucina writes the book for it. How they tie this together, I, I think, is really smart. Yes, when you when you read the first novel, you do go like, okay, I'm going to read that, I know, later. Mm. And uh, that's going to be in the comics next week. Because whenever they mention, like, Avar can't come, she's too busy. And you're like, I know. I read her every month. Yep. And that's smart. And so, yeah. And, and yes, I agree. Not enough for Nestra in this book, but. Well, and you know who else is apparently one of the main people in the next book is Yoda, which mm. will be interesting. They're finally bringing Yoda in. In the comics, he's on a walkabout. Mm-hmm. He's in a very restless stage right now. So Yoda is technically a member of the council, but he's on sabbatical right now. Yeah, he's not feeling it, but he's still working. He is out with a group of Padawans and younglings on a ship called the Starhopper, you know, teaching them stuff. But he just left them to go off on his own little quest to find something like he's so he's very he feels very lost during this, which I which I like, you know, Yoda shouldn't always be all together. He should have period times of doubt. And I don't know if that's what it is, but he definitely seems like he's having doubts about the order or he's having doubts about or he just his mind's just wandering or, or Yoda's just not perfect. And that's interesting, too. But he's leg- he's in the comics. He has legit left the kids. <laughs> well, they're kind that's of not great, but it's uh... kind of crazy. <laughs> I really enjoyed Crash Point and it's I feel safe in their hands. Like, I don't feel safe emotionally. They're going to they just they ravaged me in this book. They're going to ravage me in the next book. <laughs> But, you know, I, I don't I'm, I'm terrified to see what Bell looks like in the next book. I, I'm not looking forward to that. And yet I really am. I mean, so. I, I am, but I'm not because I'm, I'm so worried for Bell. And that says a lot about the writing of these books is that I am so worried about these characters that I just met. Well, and Chad, you can probably talk about this more just as a writer, but I'm sure if a company came to you and said, hey, look. We're going to give you like five to seven years yeah. with this group and you can just do what you want. Lay it out like as an as a writer. Of course. Yeah, I would do. I would. It would be great. The Ewok. I would have so many Ewoks. It would be amazing. <laughs> it's a dream job for them. It, it's got to be like, especially since, you know, the life of a writer is very freelance. You know, Sewell is lucky enough. You know, Sewell works at Marvel. And I'm sure he gets paid well, but he, but comics jobs are very ephemeral. You know, in between Star Wars books, these people write other fiction in the same age range, whether it's young adult or middle school or whatever. I don't know, man. It seems like a plum gig to me. You're you're assured that you've got this job for X amount of time. You're sculpting something. But but more than any of that, it seems like so much fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like they're having so much fun. I want to read the Bible on each character and, and, and the histories they've written for each character. It seems like they've done so much world building, but they're doing the right thing, which is they are creating an entire new world, huge world building, but not bogging us down with it, but then telling us exciting stories within it. These books are exciting. I don't know, man. I just, uh, I want more. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the good thing is like, what as we record this out of the shadows comes out in a week, a week or so. Yeah. Yeah. We have one book in between and that one book is going to be, haha, 
<laughs> and that one book is going to be so we're gonna we're gonna zoom ahead 200 years and we're gonna read a book i've uh never read we're gonna go from the third person to the first person yeah we're gonna read i was curious to read this book it's heir to the jedi by kevin hearn it is one of the first new can new canon books i believe it was a book that was written however beforehand so it was meant to be in legends i believe yeah it's the first book in the new canon. Was it the first book? Yeah. yeah. And uh, it is only the second Star Wars novel ever to be told in the first person. Uh, the first one was I, Jedi by Michael Stackpole. It was actually originally intended to be part of a, a series, but it got chopped off when the sale happened and everything. All right. Well, thank you guys for hanging out tonight. We will talk to you all again soon. For light and life. Fair suck. <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger.